So this morning uh, we're continue, continuing, in fact, concluding a series that we've done on the culture of Grace City Church, the culture that we want to cultivate. So we've talked about being empowering, uh, being authentic, help me out with the other ones, are oh, they all there, wholehearted, courageous, etc., etc. So the last one we're looking at this morning is being courageous. And I don't know how you feel about this word. I reckon some of you would be, the thrill seekers among you would be quite excited, like, yes. Others are like, hang on a minute, I'm just... I don't want to rock the boat. I'm feeling quite comfortable. I don't want to be too courageous. Maybe this word's not for me. And maybe you're here perhaps the first time ever that you're stepping into a church. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian. You think, hey, the last thing I think about Christians and church is courageous. Any sort of adventure, this is not the place I would come for it. But actually, I want to encourage you to listen because I think we serve a God who's incredibly courageous and adventurous. And being a Christian should be all of those things. So please explore with me. Where, where I'm going to go this morning is, I'll, I think for us, God's calling us as a community to step into what I would describe as a space, to step into a space. And that, that space has got two sides. One is the faithfulness, the dependability of an all-powerful, amazing God. And the other side is that feeling of vulnerability, the element of risk. Actually, if we go all in, if we put all our eggs in that basket, you know, is he really going to pull through for us? He's calling us to courageously step into that space. We feel a bit scared at times, but we can absolutely trust him. So that's what I'm going to be describing this morning. So why don't I pray and get started. Jesus, thank you so much for just being able to worship you this morning freely and just, just the sense of your presence, Lord God. We just, we just love you so much. You know, we just want to put you at the very center of everything that we're doing. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you come and breathe on us this morning. You come and draw near to us, Lord God. Come and speak to us. And I pray you change us, Lord God, to be more like you in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord God, for everyone here, Lord God, their hearts will be open and ready to receive from you. And I pray for me that you'd anoint me with fire and power. Amen. So what is courageous? Well, to get a definition, I went to that famous philosopher Bruce Lee who said, courage is not the absence of fear, it is the ability to act in the presence of it. Lots of people have said that, but I think Bruce Lee was actually the first, and he's got some good quotes if you want to check him out. And I reckon that's about as good as you're going to get. It's not about being fearless, it's actually in the presence of fear, deciding to take the right course anyway. And as elders, you know, we tried to come up with definitions for us as a community. And what we've said is we want to be about, by faith, boldly stepping into the great adventure of following a faithful God. So it's by faith we're stepping into this space. It's a space of adventure, but we're secure because we're doing it. We're following a faithful God, someone we know that we can rely on. That's what we want to be about. And how, how are we going to unpack that? Well, I've got one kind of extended metaphor, if you like, which will take us through most of the sermon. And then hopefully, if we get time, we'll talk about what that might look like in real terms. And this metaphor that I've got for you is, it's a pogo stick. Oh, so uh, I think there's a picture. You may recognize this guy for pogo stick fans. This is a 1955 world champion, apparently. I'm sure some of you will, be, will know who he is. The pogo stick. I'm debating whether to try it or not. <laughs> my wife said, I said I couldn't get hold of one. She said, that's probably a good thing. But I have got hold of one, so Greg and Gabri are saying no. Be courageous. All right, all right, all right. I was going to get Matt Clothier to do this, because it's his first time. But I'll let you off. I'll do it, I'll do it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. One more. I can do it. Oh, okay. All right, that's enough. That's enough. Thank you, thank you. 
Yeah, that definitely deserves a round of applause for that pathetic attempt. So why, why am I using this as an illustration? Well, the pogo stick. You know, I think that we are people who love comfort and security and control. And I think the pogo stick is the opposite of all those things. It's really not comfortable. I testify to that. You're not in control, actually quite the opposite. You may, you may feel like you are for a moment, but you could lose it any time. And it's certainly not secure. I think it's the very opposite of that. It's really quite precarious. So where am I going with this illustration? I think the the obvious thing to say would be actually, you know, we need to stop being so comfortable. We need to get on the pogo stick and be adventurous. Let's go for it. But I'm not saying that at all, actually. I'm saying quite the opposite. So what am I saying? Well, explore my thinking with me, which are we've developed over these last few weeks. And one of the key texts that we're looking at for Courageous is from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. It says this, But he said to me, this is Paul talking about God, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's contrasting two ideas, his weakness and God's strength. And what he's saying is that when I think I'm strong, when I think I've got it together, I'm deluded. Actually, I have no strength at all. But when I admit that I'm weak and that I'm needy and I lean on God, God's power kicks in for me and actually I become incredibly strong. When I admit my weaknesses and embrace them, I can lean into all the strength that God has. So if you think about this in terms of security, we love security. When we try and be secure in our own strength, actually there's nothing really there. But when we admit, actually, that we need God as our security and we trust him wholeheartedly, we find we're in a place of far greater security. We think that we can be in control, but we're deluded. When we admit actually that we need God to help us, when we need his control, when we admit weakness, actually we realize he has huge strength for us. How does this relate back to the pogo stick? Well, I think in our desire for security and control and comfort, we do everything in our power to organize our lives, to make sure that we're comfortable, that we've got everything together. But actually we're really not as reliable and dependable as we think. Actually, kind of what we need to do is actually relinquish control, try not to do things in our own strength, and actually trust God wholeheartedly. So I think it takes courage not to get on the pogo stick, but I think it takes courage to get off the pogo stick. Does that make sense? As in, I think this represents our lives, our attempts to control our lives, to make sure that we're comfortable. It's an entirely false sense of security when we try and do it ourselves. Actually, what I think we need to do is put this down and step into the firm platform that is Christ. I'll leave that there. It's going to fall over. Now, hopefully that that metaphor has slightly surprised you. But I think it's it's a huge concept for us to get because I think we're almost addicted to this sense of self-sufficiency. You know, I've got this. I can, I can do this. I'm dependable. But actually, we have, we, we're not in any sense. But when we lean on his dependability, when we rest on him, actually there's huge power. And God's calling us as a people to kind of step out of our comfort zone, to get off the pogo of self-sufficiency, if you like, and stand on the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus himself. 
Now, is this kind of a biblical concept? Can we find this concept in the Bible? Well, absolutely. From beginning to end, you'll find it right through. You know, you read a, read a chapter of the Bible like Hebrews 11, these huge men of faith, who, if like God spoke to them and said, I want you to do this, and instead of get on their pogo of, I can do this, they said, okay, I'll step off and I'll do what you want. Let's look at a few examples. Abraham, right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 12. God spoke to him from nowhere, from nowhere and said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I said, I want you to leave absolutely everyone and everything that you know and go. I'm not even going to tell you where I'm going to send you because you wouldn't know where it is anyway. I'm just going to tell you to go and I'll lead you day by day by day. What did Abraham do? Instead of saying, no, I'd rather stay here, I've got this, he relinquished control and he said, okay, God, I'll follow you wherever you want me. Another character, Gideon. You know, he was a man, when we first meet him in the Bible, actually he's a, he's a coward, he's hiding. His nation is under a huge oppression from a, a, an empire, if you like, that they'd never seen the size of before, a powerful group. And God tells him, Gideon, I want to use you to deliver my people from these guys. But he says specifically in Judges 7 too, you have too many other men, actually, Gideon. Otherwise, Israel will boast that my own strength has saved me. You, you've got too many men. Otherwise, you'll boast that you did it yourself. So I want to change that. And even though they were greatly outnumbered anyway, God wanted to reduce the size of that army. So there's around 32,000 people. And God said, Gideon, say to them, if any of you are scared, you can just go home. So Gideon said, hey, if you're in the army and you're scared, go home. Maybe he's thinking... A couple of hundred might leave, but tw over 20,000 people left, 22,000 people left immediately. That, that's a huge number. I mean, you're already overrun, now 22,000 have left. You're left with 10,000. And God said, hey, this is still too much. I want to get that number down again. So he put a little test when they went to drink at the river. Those who knelt down at the river, like, um, or there was two choices, you could either kneel kneel down or you could just lap up the water like a dog kind of thing and everyone who lapped up the water like a dog God says you can go home and Gideon was left with 300 people that's 300 people it's like over 99% decrease in the size of your army you're already greatly outnumbered now you're down to 300 and he says I want you to go into the enemy camp and they're there standing around at night and God's saying what I want you to do is blow your horn smash your jar and then run at them and I'll deliver them into your hands and we know the story so it's so kind of easy to miss the power of it. But imagine if you were Gideon right there at that moment. You know, not, you're not just at financial risk. If you've got this wrong, you're going to be killed. Like they've got swords and spears. You're there with your little recorder. You know, just you're going to blow it and what's going to happen? You know, if God doesn't come through at that moment, literally your life is over. The fear that must have gripped them was immense. But that, that's that sense of security. Well, what truly is more secure, the size of my army or the Lord God Almighty? God said, I need to cut, cut this army right down so you know that you can trust me above anything else. Even just with a horn and a jar that's broken, I can defeat anybody. I don't need anything. I'm God. So Gideon took that huge, courageous step saying, okay, God, I, I, this is ridiculous, but I trust you. And God totally delivered them in that moment. You know, God had three regulations for any king of Israel, three rules. You can read about them in Deuteronomy 17. The first one is that a king must have 
not too many wives. We could talk a lot about that, but we won't. Second is, he must not acquire many horses. And thirdly, he must not acquire large amounts of wealth. As it, I don't want you to have a big army, lots of horses. I don't want that, and I don't want you to be extremely rich. Because any king of Israel who gets those things will trust in those things above me. So I want to cap the amount of money that you have. I want you to cap the amount of the, arm, the strength of your army so that you know you can trust me and nobody else. And um, we all know, I presume, about David's sin, you know, his committing adultery and murder. But there's another sin that he commits, actually, which God is almost as equally angry with him about. And David, at one point, takes a census of his army, so he knows how many troops that he's got. And for me, that is all about him wanting to know about his resources so he can feel confident and secure in the number of troops that he has. Because if he knows the number, then he's, he knows how safe he is. And the Bible says it was the devil himself who incited David to do that. And God absolutely flips the lid. He's furious with David. He can't believe it. And he, he gives him three options. He says to David, Look, you can have three years of famine for this, you can deal with three months of being defeated by your enemies, or you can have three days where I myself are going to come against you. And David chooses the third option because he knows God is he's a soft touch. Although he does, he knows God is a soft touch. He said, I'd rather face your wrath than anyone else's. And David's right to choose that because God sends this mighty angel who goes right through the land. And the angel comes up to Jerusalem ready to destroy it, and God says, okay, 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 you've had enough, I'll, just let, I'll, let, I'll let him go from this point. And it says in the Bible that, that David encounters this mighty angel standing between heaven and earth, whatever that looks like, with a sword outstretched above Jerusalem, and he worships and he makes a sacrifice. God's anger with him is all about David wanting to feel self-sufficient, like I can do this, I've got, I've got my stuff here, I can rely on them, I don't need God. Our self-sufficiency is a huge thing. Psalm 33 says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in, in his unfailing love. You know, a king's not saved by the size of his army. A warrior can't trust his strength. And I think for us, you know, how would we contextualize that kind of psalm? You know, no person is saved by the, by the fact that they own a house, by the strength of their career, their marriage relationships. You can't find security in any of these things. They're actually a vain hope. Here's the only one that's truly secure. And one more verse for you, just so you kind of get, get this topic. Me and James were talking the other day, and he, he referenced this verse, and Francis Chan was talking about it. It's Acts 4, 34 to 35. It says this. It's quite simple, but it's extremely powerful. From time to time... Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Simple. People sold houses, gave all the money to the apostles. Now, I've read this and thought, oh, that's okay for them. Because that, like, that was a different era. You know? like, like we couldn't do that now on the northern beach. You sell a house, that's, that's going a little bit too far. Do you know what I mean? Let, let, let's not get carried away. It was different for them. You know, we've got to think about sending kids to school and medical bills and other bills. You know, we, what about retirement, the future, so on and so forth. We couldn't do that now, could we? But the, the, the thing is, you know, where does our security really lie when it comes to it? If, if we explore that kind of topic, if, if, if we were to do that, sell everything for the sake of the gospel, is, is God trustworthy? Is he reliable? 
he is 100% reliable. He, he will provide and he will meet our needs. He's promised. And even if he doesn't, let's say, let's say he forgets about you, or, you know, drops the ball on you, and you, you actually have some difficulties for the rest of your life financially. Actually, when it comes to heaven, the glory that you'll receive will far outweigh any suffering that you endured in the short term. Now, I'm saying this to be intentionally provocative, and you know, I don't have a house, so it's easy for me to say. If a house owner is out here, maybe you're feeling more nervous. But I just think, like we do, we have to take this stuff seriously. Like if we say we trust you wholeheartedly, 100%, we've got to believe that God can really provide. And I think we, we, we cling to this sense of security. We want to be able to be in control, that self-reliance. And almost to go that far is just to go too far. Will God really provide? So I believe he wants to take us on a journey to be courageous, you know, to really trust him, to really lean into him and believe, which would be a real adventure. There's, there's three reasons why I think it's really important for us to go on this adventure. You know, I use the illustration of a pogo stick because it's something that, in terms of security, comfort, control, it's pathetic. It's got nothing to offer. And actually, when we try and be in control of our lives, uh, it's pretty pathetic. I mean, I can't even control my own day. Every single day, stuff happens that takes me aside and stops me from doing what I want, let alone my whole life or the life of my family. You know, I was, in, um, I was in London when the GFC hit. and it, I mean, it hit really hard. People were really hurting. I think I was in an organization where 20,000 people lost their jobs. Huge, huge number of people. Some people had all their in, um, retirement plans caught up in the shares. When share price absolutely plummeted, they lost everything. They were on the brink of retirement, thought they got it all covered. They lost everything. Grown men who, who thought they had it all covered just were almost in tears. Now, there's, there's some people I know who had numbers of properties at that time. They didn't even really need to work. They just had so many properties. They just managed the portfolio. When the GFC hit, house price plummeted. They lost everything. Had to declare bankruptcy. Even here in Colorado a few years ago, people thought they had these lovely kind of beachfront apartments. And a big storm, a bit of rain. All of a sudden, they've lost everything. You know, the things that we think are secure and reliable and dependable, when we compare them to God... They just don't stand up. He is so much more reliable than any plan that we could kind of conjure. Think, well, what about my future? What about my retirement? Well, what about God? Don't you think he's got those things covered? Secondly, I think, I think worry is a huge thing for us. Now, I, th- I think so many of us are so worried and anxious all the time. You know, I worry about all sorts of things. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like imagine a scenario. Oh, what if this happened, then that happened, and then I worry about the, the scenario that I've imagined happening, and it hasn't even happened yet. We're not even there yet, but I, it's keeping me up at night. And I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a big worry. I'm not a particularly anxious person. So if I'm this worried, you know, people must really be feeling it. Worried about debt, worried about all sorts of things. Actually, you know, it's understandable that we're worried because if we're trying to kind of Our life is like bouncing up and down on this thing. Yeah, I'm in control. I can do this. I can make life secure. Well, of course you'd be worried. If if you genuinely try to be the boss of your own destiny and knowing that you can't, of course you'd be worried or anxious. What we've got to do is kind of let go and just step onto the firm platform that, that is Christ. I think some of the most revolutionary words that Jesus ever spoke are in Matthew 6. 
And he just said, you know, why worry? You know, why, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow can worry about itself. Every time I read that, I can just, like, I picture Jesus just, like, smoking a bong. It's just, like, hippie kind of stuff, right? But it's, it's, he's obviously not. It's, it's, it, it's, it's true. He's saying you just don't need to worry about the future. He said, why would you worry about your clothes? Why would you worry about your food? Why would you worry about your life? Why would you worry about any of that? You know, pagans run after those sorts of things. You know, I'm your father. I know you need those things. I've, I've got it covered. You don't. You just don't need to worry about it. If we really embraced that, our lives would be incredibly different. If we really just thought, oh, God, oh, yeah, I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. You've got me covered. You know, I think think that worry for us is almost, and our our desire to be self-sufficient is all like for some of us almost like a demonic grip on our lives actually like we're, we're, we're chained by it I think we're so holding on to try and be secure to fix everything to it's like that we we try harder and harder and harder to make sure everything's okay to plan for the future to plan for the future make sure we're all going to be all right actually there's no freedom in it for us we're trapped in this circle of thinking and it's exhausting and it's tiring. And Jesus is, is like trying to prize the grips of our fingers from this thing. And so just step back. You just leave it with me. I'm so, so trustworthy. You know, our confidence has got to come that the, the biggest need that we've ever needed has, has already been provided for. You know, and what I'm talking about is obviously the fact that we weren't able to have a relationship with God. That everything that we'd done wrong had been, created a barrier between us and him. That's already been dealt with, that problem. That's the biggest problem that humanity has ever faced because Jesus came down and he paid the price for every mistake, every wrongdoing that we've ever done. He took that and he paid that. That's already been done for each one of us. This stuff, oh, you need a house, you need a car, whatever, that's just nothing in comparison. It's just like small change. If we can trust him for this, then surely we can trust him for our possessions. And thirdly, um, I don't know if you've ever seen or experienced or been the, a child that's jumped into their parents' or friends' arms in a swimming pool. You know, I was doing it with, with, my, with my niece a while back. She was on, on the edge of the pool, and I was in the pool, and I was encouraging her to jump. And she wanted to jump, but she didn't want to jump. You know, she was like, she was, I'm not sure if she was happy or terrified, but she was like, yeah, and I'd say one, two, three, and then she'd go, oh, and she wouldn't do it. But she leant further and further and further in, and eventually she kind of fell slash jumped, and I caught her. And then she was so happy and excited, and she wanted to do it again, and she wanted to do it again and again and again, you know, and it gets boring. We've all been there. (laughs) I think when we're talking about taking a leap of faith, what we're talking about is jumping into the arms of a father who really loves us. That's what we're talking about. In his arms, we're so, so safe. He doesn't want to scare us. He doesn't want to make us feel unnecessarily comfortable, uncomfortable. He loves us so, so much. He loves you so, so much. He's never going to push you to spite you or hurt you. Actually, he wants to bring you into freedom and release. He wants you to take the jump into his arms because they're far safer than staying if you stayed in control of your life. He wants you to take that leap of faith because it's there, kind of in the Father's embrace, I believe, that we really experience the love of God. You know, we can say in our, 
in our minds, oh, yeah, I know God provides. But then when we've actually experienced him come through in the last minute, we've got an experience of God as provider. It's not academic knowledge. It's like it's a known experience, and we know that God provides in our hearts, and we experience his love in those moments. And there's a, there's a depth of encounter when we step out that we just won't experience any other time. You know, we're jumping into the arms of a daddy who really loves us. He's never going to let us down. He's not going to let us slip. He cares for us so much. And he's all big and powerful, but he's, he's extraordinarily gentle and patient and kind and reliable. And he's never hurtful or spiteful. He's a good God, right? And I think um, some, sometimes, I, just, uh, I was thinking about this, I just feel like some of us are like kids on the edge of a swimming pool. You know, you're not jumping in. You're just kind of standing around on the edge thinking, I've, I've, I've got this, but I don't want to go all in. Actually, this is the worst kind of place to be in, actually, because you're not having the fun. You're just there. And I think for some of us, church has just become like that, to be honest. It's just like standing around the edge. It's just something that you do on Sundays, but it's just something that you do on Sundays, and it's really not that fun or enjoyable, and you don't get it. And he's calling us to actually take that leap of faith and to jump into his arms. And it may be a little bit scary. It, it is. But actually, it's in those moments when we really receive and encounter his love. And Maybe it's just for some of you, actually, you, you've known what it's like to jump before, but for some reason you just don't feel like jumping quite now. I, I just feel like some of, there's some people just feeling kind of dormant, actually, in their spiritual walks, feeling kind of empty and dry. And I think it's actually related to this topic of kind of self-sufficiently. Actually, he's calling us to be courageous and take the leap.